Hey, it's Jose Galison. You're watching No Way Jose. You can find me on the No Way Jose YouTube channel. You can also find me on, on just about every major podcatcher and on Odyssey as well. Uh, my guest today is Caleb Brown. We're continuing the uh, Agoras Primer series. We'll be doing probably just Chapter Seven today. Uh, we'll work through that, and uh, we'll we'll see. Then I think the last, the next episode should be the last one, and we'll we'll finally knock this all out. Uh, it, like, like I said, I don't know if I actually mentioned it though, but, uh, as always, this is a live stream right now. If you're watching it the day of, which it's the 20th right now, if you're watching it now, it's a live stream almost immediately after I will put it on private, unlisted, whatever. And it will only be available for my patrons for about a week or so. And then it will go public. Um, usually I live stream to Twitter as well today, but FYI, uh, Twitter was being glitchy today. So it's, it's showing that it's not working. I don't know. Maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. I don't really care. Uh, but yeah, um, for the Patreon, it's patreon.com. It's just no way Jose 2020. Uh, for the lowest level, it's two bucks. That gets you the minor, the little perks of being able to view it even in the period of time when it's uh, not public. Uh, I do have different levels. The highest level being uh, the $20 sponsor level, which I breathe them off every week because they're my sponsors. Uh, those would be CD McRae of the Whiskey and Tea podcast, uh, at SpaceCat2K, of which I've done uh, for the $10 level, you get a, you get to you know, create an episode essentially, uh, I mean, within reason. Uh, and I did one with him a while ago, which is a session versus agorism. Uh, and we talked about that or, or uh, verses in quotes, cause I don't really think they're necessarily at odds. I also have Jacob Winograd of the Daniel three podcast. He re up for the $20 level. Uh, and I felt bad cause I was totally teasing him. He didn't have to, but he, he wanted to, uh, he's trying, I think he's just still trying to ease his way into the tower gang thing. Still not happening, but uh, and then I also have Liberty Down Under, uh, a new uh, patron, a uh, new $20 level patron. Uh, he has, the, I believe he still has the Liberty Down Under podcast, so go check him out as well. He's good stuff. Uh, if you can't tell by the name, he's uh, one of those Aussies, uh, Aussies, Aussies, whatever the fuck. Uh, but he's in Australia, so he's uh, he's got some shit going on there, so he has a lot to say about that for sure. Um, yeah, like I said, the topic today, we're doing the Anagoras Primer. We're going to be covering Chapter 7. Uh, give you a little uh, updates what's going on with the Tower Gang and Tower Gang homies. Right now, we don't even have our next episode for the coming week uh, planned, uh, but we'll probably figure something out. But uh, uh, we do. I am reminding you guys again. We're so we Bert Kreischer confirmed said he was going to come on. He confirmed he's going to come on. He never. We we still haven't got her back from for a date yet. So if you guys want to go on Twitter and go bug him and be like, hey man, when are you going on it? Just to remind him, I'm sure we he's probably already forgot about him about us as big as he is. Uh, also Reed, he's got a couple big guests coming up on the 21st, uh, which if you watch, if you catch this when it goes public as opposed to live stream, it should already be out by this point, but he has Kim Iverson on the 21st and he has James Lindsay and Phil Labonte on the 22nd. Uh, so those should be good. Uh, I think James, I believe is actually going on Rogan tomorrow. So, uh, Reed should get a big boost from that. So it'd be cool. As always go check out top lobster, uh, top is where you can find his stuff. Use Jose at checkout for 10% off. Uh, we are basically business partners, me and the tower gang homies and him. Uh, yeah, uh, let's go ahead and bring in Caleb. What's up, What's up dude? Man? Not much, man. Hey. Nice. That's it. No, uh, I got I, I quick. I have weed. Uh, I have weed coming on soon. Actually, we're going to do enough of it by uh, Scott Holton. Nice, so nice one. I still haven't got around to doing that. I've been uh, cause uh, I I did I did the uh, God, what's it called? Uh, not enough already. What was the other one? Um, uh, uh, time to leave no, Afghan. Oh I don't God. know. <laughs> um, his eyes. other book, he's well known for Fool, Fool's Aaron. Time to there you, there you go. Yeah, there go. yeah. Fool's Aaron. Uh, Fool's Aaron is a great book. Yeah. Uh, I did an audiobook though, and I think actually that's the way to do it. Like he, mm -hmm. like I know a lot of people like hear a uh, Scott, and they're like, it "Is sometimes listening to him is a little rough, and he throws a lot at you." But he really, in the books, he does a really good job. Slows it down. Uh, something about his voice just really works. Uh, so, I, I, I still yeah. had to put it on times two speed to feel like it was actually Scott Holton. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. he was just so slow. It didn't feel natural. Yeah. I like it personally, but uh, uh, maybe I'm just stupid. I don't know, but uh, um, but point I was I haven't got it yet because I've been every every month I get the audible credits and I've been doing. Uh, I'm still uh, knocking out the Dune series. Nice because uh, I'm. I think this coming one I've I've done uh, Dune and then I've done Dune Messiah and Children of Dune. Next I've got Emperor Dune, which is supposed to be the best one. So I'm looking forward to that. That should be fun. Nice. Um, but yeah. Uh, so yeah, I'll eventually get to the Scott Horton one, uh, once I've knocked out the Dune ones, but it should be in a few months, but yeah, um, 
But yeah, I know when you put that out, I was like, man, I should go do the audio book and then I'll, uh, but I was like, shit, I don't want to pay for it. <laughs> yeah. the, the funny thing is I actually think I have the book because I bought it, even though I'll never actually read the physical copy. I'll just do the audio book, but I was just like, I want to have it just to have it. I, I, I like to read along with the audio book because then I can, I don't know, I, I can read along, underline things, take notes. And I can just try to get more prep for the podcast then. Yeah. No, it's a. Uh... I mean, there's certain books, like books I really like, I will read and do the audiobook version of. And then like books I really, really like, I will do both. And I will also like take notes and stuff like mm -hmm. while I'm doing it. Um, but yeah, I mean, most books, I just do one or the other. Um, but yeah, uh, let's, I guess let's go ahead and get into this. Uh, do I it. do, for those who are watching live or, or do watch live, I have Coming up after this, I'm supposed to have Keith Knight on to do the the, the Hasness episode of the Anarchist Handbook. So uh, I, I, we gotta. Uh, that, I was like that was probably yeah, the best it, chapter. That was probably the best chapter in the book. I was very surprised. I didn't I didn't know much about Hasness, and I, so I wasn't expecting much. And I was like, oh, this is a really good one. And uh, he's a more recent scholar, so it's not. It's more written for today's audience too, mm -hmm. so which I think makes it better in a lot of ways. Yeah, um, it, it yeah. blew my mind. I read it. I'm like, I got a weird like my entire view of law was like okay i gotta reassess yeah. this this is inc yeah. it was incredible well i mean i found myself agreeing uh pretty much entirely but it, it was like one of those things where like oh but he like put it in a way where i'm like oh yeah let me ask you um on this hypothetical he gives about the um old lady signs up for like a yoga class or something or to get to get bamboozled out of her money uh, and that hypothetical TV provides. What's one do you side with? Do you side with the company because he's uh, fucked over the lady, or do you think the lady signed a contract and has to do with it now? Like, which one is you side with? Personally? I mean, I'm more of the contract guy, but at the mm -hmm. same point, the whole point has us is getting at is that like both like, are both are right, and yeah. it's like these are just different competing versions of law. And ideally, mm -hmm. in the a good in a in the in a proper free society, you would have different laws in different areas, and it wouldn't be mm -hmm. this monopoly. And so. You know, people will be able to choose one or the other. But, I mean, I would definitely lean towards the contract one because it's kind of like, well, I do think it's shitty that someone would do that. It's still also like, I mean, you fucking you get you to set a precedent. To this. Yeah. yeah, like, yeah. I mean, I, I also think that's not a good business model. So that person's probably not going to really go far. But, you know, mm -hmm. I don't yeah. know. But yeah, let's uh, let's go ahead and get into this. Uh, chapter seven, agorism. Uh, finally, until the end of the book, he's actually, we're doing straight up agorism. To understand agorism fully and to compare it to competing ways of thinking, one needs to know two things about it, its goal and its path to that goal. This knowledge is critical to evaluating all ideologies. The goal is living in the agora and the path is expanding counter-economics. Remember our constant, if not nagging, emphasis on consistency, both internally and with reality. Agorism must have a path consistent with its goal and a goal consistent with its path. Uh, yeah, because uh, it's practice. <laughs> Yep, it's it's uh its means should comport with its ends. Uh, I guess but, that's one thing I actually like about I respect a lot about agorism is it's not just a principle way of living. It's not just a principle and ethic to apply the way your reactions are. It also applies to strategy. It, it's yeah. both. But I feel like a lot of these political ideologies are either one or the other. Which I respect yeah. agorism. It's like no, we have both here. Yeah, and it's uh, like it's very. People like straw man agorism and miss and, and maybe not even intentionally, but they always like kind of kind of misunderstand it. But mm -hmm. like, it's really pretty simplistic when you think about it. And it's I, I like how like because uh, I think I was listening to Pete or somebody somebody recently. Actually, I think it was Pete with Aaron. He was, they were doing the uh, they were doing um, Lenin, and they, like it was kind of his idea of like, oh well, we need to do this. It's a communism thing. It's like, but if we do this, and then we can get to communism. In a lot of ways, it's kind of similar to like, say, not to, because I, mean, I guess we'll continually shit on the LP. It's the kind of idea like, oh, well, we'll utilize politics and we'll just get rid of politics one day. And it's like, wait, what? Like, I, I, like how, like, wouldn't that just like feed into that and make that more like bigger or whatever? I mean, I, I don't know. Like, it's kind of the idea that we're going to do this thing and then somehow we'll have, we'll end up with this other thing that's not. It doesn't like that, follow from that thing. <laughs> it's, that, it's that Marxist joke. It's like um, step A, achieve power. Step B, step C, communism. Like, yeah. this, this, they don't have a step B yet. It's... Yeah, which I mean, there's not to say there aren't examples of when you can do that, but I just think it's a, uh, it's it's not very likely like for that to like change course like that because once you set uh, a course, you know, especially something that spans over generations and it has, you know, uh, a 
assortment of people in it and you kind of create a trend like it's one thing if it's just one single person you're like i'm gonna do this action i know it's not consistent with my end but but it will allow me to get to that place and then i can change course when i get there or whatever but when you're now when you're talking about like groups of people over generations like you're setting a path in motion like and you're like and somehow this is going to lead to a different thing than like the means you're you're using to get there like i don't it just doesn't i never that never made sense yeah, to it me. doesn't doesn't track it doesn't, it doesn't yeah. track with, the, with their own rules you know yeah all right the axioms of agorism a free society is the goal of many people not all of them agorists or even libertarians. Agorists can see nothing but a free market in a free society. After all, who or what will prevent it? The first axiom of agorism. The closest approach to a free society is an uncorrupted agora, open marketplace. An axiom is a principle or premise of a way of thinking. It is arrived at by insight, induction, and observation of nature. Theorems are arrived at deductively from axioms. A zeroth axiom of agorism might be there are no contradictions in reality, and theory must be consistent with reality. I like that. Uh, yep. I mean, it, it, and it's kind of the idea where where people I, I've seen before, and this is this was a thing probably a few months ago where a lot of people, especially a lot of the uh, lockdown type stuff and like actions, like, oh, what are we going to do to combat this? And they'll be like, uh, and a lot of people are like, oh, that's not consistent with theory. And then people <laughs> will be like, well, well, maybe, you know, oh, well, that's not the, th and then some people are like, well, that's not the theoretical right thing to do, but like, I, maybe it's not perfectly libertarian or whatever. And it's like, yeah. if your theory does not comport to reality, then like, you probably should rethink your theory. Yeah. Like, and my, like <laughs> I, had, I got a big complaint recently because I saw, uh, not recently, maybe a few months ago, everyone was arguing on Twitter about like that whole, um, what are the food stores all lock you out in your area and you can't get access to food, you know? And all the people are like trying to rationalize it, like justify their actions. And it's like, this is where I'm, like, we've been with an ego um, this. It's like, I'm just going to get the food. I don't fucking yeah. care. I'm going to say <laughs> that's bad. I It's wrong of me. Like, Catholics have a big debate. Like, lying, is it, like Catholics have a big debate. And it's, um, is lying to the Nazis a sin if you have Jews in your attic? Uh, my answer is yes. I'm going to do it anyway. Yeah. Like, I don't even think lying is wrong. I like, you brought up yeah. egoism, I said before. And that is a. That's the beauty of egoism is I'm never inconsistent because it's just yeah. like, that's what I want to do. Like yeah. it, I, I just, but then I like, I then stack on top of that libertarianism and I'm like, I just think that this is the best way to achieve what I want is a better world. But at the end of the day, if we're in some situation where somehow this doesn't comport to the libertarian theory, I'm like, okay. <laughs> yeah. It's like, like and yes. And okay. Yeah. Um, but all right. Commonly known axioms in philosophy are existence exists and A is A. Well-known mathematical <laughs> axioms are thing equal are things equal to another thing or equal to each other. And a statement leading to a contradiction with a theorem theorem or axiom is false. The first six chapters of this primer preceded the actual presentation of agorism to give you the reader through uh, reader enough understanding of economics, counter-economics, and libertarianism to see where the insights that produce agorism were derived. They were not chosen arbitrarily, but rather as a result of years of bitter experience and, in some cases, furious battles and acts of resistance. The hardcore agorist had to have something worth dying for and far more important worth living for. The second axiom of agorism. The, the agora self-corrects for small perturbations of corruption. This axiom leads us to a far more detailed picture of what our nearly free society would look like. It means simply that free market entities will defend the free market. People have to uh, have to choose to do it, of course, but the incentive, offering of subjective value satisf uh, subjective value satisfaction. Why is that word killing me? Uh, will be present to motivate them to do so, and will be sufficient to motivate enough people to do so. I do want to stop at that. That's that's one thing, and I know Pops talks about incentives a lot, and I I tend to bring up incentives. And this is one reason why I like agorism because even if you aren't like if you're pursuing market uh, driven solutions and things that in, you know, in its truest form, just market anything is necessarily not of the state. The state, state is just a, le a leech that sucks off the free market. So if you can create some sort of market resolution to something you're already putting forth the incentive to do it. 
And so, you know, I've used Uber, uh, Bitcoin, like those are good examples to where it mm-hmm. kind of, you set the incentives where you don't have to be an agorist to be like, well, you know, I don't want to call a taxi because it's inconvenient and expensive. I'll just call an Uber or, you know, fucking uh, Bitcoin. Like, well, look at the price of Bitcoin. Like, whoa, like, I don't know the inflation's a bitch. And you're like, mm-hmm. you, you don't have to be an agorist, like, but you're putting those incentives in place that yeah. lead people that way. And I think it's kind of what he's getting at where it kind of corrects for itself in that regard. It's like the so. greatest leaps towards a free society did not come from anyone, a, a devout libertarian. Yes. <laughs> Which is, um, sad but mm-hmm. how reality works you know yeah occasional criminals will be discovered sought found apprehended tried sentenced compelled to deliver restitution and if possible deterred from further actions the third axiom of agorism the moral system of any agora is compatible with pure libertarianism this axiom means that life and property are safe from all those who act morally in society we will describe this in the next section but let us complete the axioms first the fourth axiom of agorism Agora in part is agora in whole. To a workable approximation, the corruption of an agora raises protection costs and risks. This axiom's use will become blindingly clear when we deal with the path. Agorism has more theory, but is derived from these axioms. For the professional logicians tripping across the theory for the first time, I need to add a fifth axiom for completion. Agorism... Qua theory is an open system. This simply means that we may discover and add on other axioms, then check to see how consistent they are with what we already have. All right. That my point with that on a open system, that's like a big debate in the objectivist circuit. Is objectivism open or closed? Like is objectivism what Rand wrote, or does objectivism include new objectivists? Um, I mean, I, I would think uh, it's kind of which is kind of funny. I think we discussed this in a previous one where I, I use the example of uh of agorism like what defines agorism is like well what Konkin said but at the same time it's also like those things that aren't clearly in there it's kind of like it's up to your interpret and if you can find it be consistent for example uh what, what's one i think i talked to matt erickson once or, or maybe it was stapleton one or two but they had the idea of like utilizing um lobbyists mm-hmm. and it's like in my head i'm like i don't necessarily know if that's not you know, compatible with agorism or not. I mean, mm-hmm. at the same time, I'm not saying that to be like, that's why I'm against it. Cause it's not compatible yeah. with agorism or that's why I'm for it or whatever. Like I'm not, I don't necessarily have, uh, I haven't really thought deeply on the matter, mm-hmm. but it is one of those things. Cause the whole wealth power and influence concept, that is one thing they've said that like, well, maybe if you're going to do it like something like that mm-hmm. and it's like, so, but for me, I'm like, I don't necessarily know if that's against it, yeah. you know, because you're just paying off people at the top to get what you want. Like, yeah, it's like, that's interesting. It's like, are you, you're paying people to take part in a political action to get things for you. Yeah. I, I don't, I would say it's this bribing a politician in a sense. Yeah. So I, I wouldn't say bribing, bribing the cop to not give you a speeding ticket is not taking part in a political system. Yes. You know, so I wouldn't say it's, it's, it's completely compatible with agorism, but um, I don't know if it's a good idea or not, but I, would say, I think it's compatible. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't necessarily think it's not either. But I guess to get at the point I was getting at with it being an open system or not, it's kind of the idea that if if it's not clearly in here, it's kind of like, well, you know, I guess it's kind of open to interpretation. Uh, you know, but like, so I guess maybe it's not necessarily close. Because I do think, because a lot of people will say shit, and I've, I think I said this earlier, will be like, well, I engage in politics. Like, I, I go vote and I go do this and that, but I'm an agorist. And you're like, yeah. I mean, sure, you can call yourself that. I don't care. I'm not going to get offended by it. But it's like, I mean, he, he was pretty clear on that. And if we're going to be fair on how we're using words and definitions, yeah, yeah. like, I mean, I get words are subjective, so say whatever you want. But, I mean, I don't know. If we're being yeah, a little I mean, reasonable like, here, this guy came up with a theory. He was very clear on that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah like, like, I vote, but I, 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 uh, I, what's the one I'm looking for here? Take pawn counter-economics. I'm not an agorist because yeah. I vote, but I take pawn counter-economics. Yeah. So I, 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 I'm with you there. It's kind of autistic. Like, you're not an agorist. I don't say it, but I don't. I do have an issue yeah. when someone's like, if someone says I'm Catholic, but they're actually not part of Catholic Church, they just hold to Catholicism, I don't like it. Yeah. I don't like people repping my my ideology, but actually not being part of the ideology completely. Just pulling the part yeah. out of it and claiming it. I don't like that. So I could see I could see a agorist who would be upset about that yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, and it's not even that I'm upset. It's more just like a definitional thing. It's just like yeah. Okay, I, I don't even care. Like, call yourself that. And I'm not even saying if I ever did say something like, well, you're not, it's not because I'm like, you're not a real aggressor. It's just, yeah. just like, well, I mean, I mean, okay, definitionally. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I get what you're saying. 
but it's... I mean, yeah. All right. The goal of the Agora. With that short burst of hard philosophy in the last section, we are ready to picture the society we are aiming for. The goal of agorism is the Agora. The society of the open marketplace as near to untainted by theft, assault, and fraud as can be humanly attained is as close to a free society as can be achieved. And a free society is the only one in which each and every one of us can satisfy his or her subjective values without crushing others' values by violence or, and coercion. It's a bit late to notice, perhaps, but if your highest values require murder and theft, you will not like the Agora. Still, you have not wasted your time as you have just read an introduction to the thinking of your worst enemy. Science fiction has given us many convincing portrayals of future societies from the grotesquely tyrannical 1984 to the transitional to freedom, the moon is a harsh mistress, kings of the high frontier, to actual free market anarchies that accidentally arose, the syndic, the great explosion, the probability brooch. One even portrayed a likely scenario for an agorist revolution alongside night. By the way, uh, that is probably between that and uh, Dune and um, uh, Fool's Errand. That is probably like it's in my top three favorite audiobooks. The audiobook is amazingly well done, and it's an it's a great book. Like it's, it's on my it, reading list, and I have a yeah. guest already picked out for it. He's agreed to come on. I just got to actually read the damn thing. Yeah, it's, do the audiobook. Fast. I'm telling you, the audiobook is amazing. It's super well. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Produced. Narrated. They did what they did well with the voices and everything. Because like I'm not gonna lie, sometimes I when it comes to audiobooks, sometimes fiction audiobooks I really hate. It dep- yeah. it like you have to really put in time and effort to make a fiction one good. Mm-hmm. Like theory, I can listen to like on audiobook because yeah. it's just like a monotone reading off theory or whatever. Mm-hmm. But now if it's like you're doing different characters and voices and. And it's, but it's just some old English dude. You're like, the, for the entire time, you're like, yeah. this is awful. <laughs> the best one I ever listened to was uh, by it was Plato Symposium. They got mm. different actors for every character. And so yeah. it felt like an actual like recording of a, a conversation, not just one guy reading. So it was it was really enjoyable. Yeah. So definitely, I highly, and it literally is just, it's the equivalent of like what Ayn Rand novels were to objectivism. It's like the fictionalized mm. version. That's what Alongside Night is. It literally is like, the agorist and it, it portrays like kind of the, the, you know, Konkin's idea of the agorist revolution. Still, we cannot predict or foresee all the changes. Fortunately, we can get a good picture of an agorist society, but picking out those changes from our present state of societies that must occur, or we simply don't have agorism. Our axioms give us that much. States will be gone. Roads will be run by competing market companies and kept in repair for a change to attract more customers. Then again, cars may levitate over the roads for all we know, or fly or take tunnels to preserve scenery. If you can think of one good reason to do something some way, in a free market it will be tried and many ways will work at the same time for different reasons. The post office will be gone and mail, if not uh, replaced by email entirely, will be efficiently and cheaper, cheaply delivered even ever faster. War will be gone. Defense budgets will be gone. Taxes will be gone. You will pay for what you get only when you want it, unless what you want is a gift. I repeat and cannot emphasize enough or wax floridly enough, the opportunities and freedom explode into the unimaginable. The sheer complexity of all possible choice moves to the infinite as restrictions approach zero. Let us focus very narrowly on only one business in the totally free marketplace. So, I mean, he's just pointing out essentially the idea of anarchy in general but yeah. in the concept of the agora the truly uncorrupted marketplace exactly probably why just the way most of the agorists is uh the goal <laughs> like yeah. that's like my that's like this is a i'm a monarchist kind of guy now so it's kind of like i be nice i don't think it's like it's actually of all the things in the book i just agree with most it's his uh his uh what he thinks is what he wants in the end i don't think it's, it would be good or achievable or it's just like my only uh, and cap like an like, like, egoist and capistan kind of thing. Like I don't think it's yeah. achievable as people think it is. I mean, it'd be cool. I just don't think it's like uh, that's. I, I, we read recently uh, the new uh, Lutea Manifesto when he lays out his goals. Like I don't think that's as probable as he makes it sound. Yeah. Well, I don't. I have a different way of thinking it, and I, I don't know. I want to do that one again, and uh, maybe I'll, I'll. I'll. It'll. Maybe it will comport to my thoughts on the matter. But I am of the opinion that uh, statism or whatever will always exist. States will always exist to some extent or form. It's just a matter of how. And I think the idea of growing the agora will create larger bubbles of freedom. So, mm-hmm. you know, 
because people will be like, oh, there'll always be states. And it's like, okay, yeah, that doesn't, but that doesn't mean there can't be areas without states or whatever, you know, like. I mean, so it can't be like a, a guy yeah. who just wins the border and you kind of just flee in the border kind of thing, you know, like. Yeah. You know, so. So, I mean, it's like, I don't know, there could be an island that's essentially an anarchist society or a covenant society or whatever, you know. Well, just so. a or digital property patchwork in the metaverse. We're all just staying on little dorms waiting for the next booster sign. I have the metaverse and Capistan in my virtual reality. Yeah. So, I mean, the idea that one day the entire state will be taken down and it'll no longer exist, I think that's akin to saying racism will magically go away. I mean, it's it's like, okay, I mean, it's like the idea that you're going to change people's minds uh, in that way. But I, I do think as time goes on, it will diminish to some extent, is my opinion. But, you know, or oh, at least there will I be. Want to, I want to yeah. boost it. I want to boost. I want more racism. Yeah. <laughs> I want more. After reading a Robin Anderson's book, I want a sequel. And so I just yeah. need to have more racism. Yeah. But I think I told you in the my, my the way I see the future, I think there will be areas of more authoritarianism, more areas of more freedom. So I think we'll end up uh, maybe some sort of city state type thing that's like fucking. And then we have maybe a bunch the, of East uh, and West Berlin's. Just everywhere. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. yeah. All right. Justice. Justice is a business. It's not free. Someone must pay for its workings. While justice in the abstract is not an economic question, uh, the obtaining of justice is an economic service. Consider this illustration. Your completely tricked out media center is stolen from your home. You notify laissez-faire insurance and protection company immediately. As fast as modern technology permits, you receive an identical screen, receiver, game station, speakers, cables, and a sack full of remotes to replace the original. With downloads of any programs you miss in the interim. You have achieved full restoration of your subjective value to the condition it would have been had there been no active aggression. Surely that is the goal of justice. Now, how is this paid for in a free market consistently with our understanding of economics and libertarian morality? The moral position first. You delegate LFI and P company as your agent to use defensive force to regain your missing property and all expenses incurred. If LFI and P co attempt to extract more from the ultimately caught thief, they're on their own. The thief's insurance and protection company is entitled to defend the thief. Costs are paid for in three ways. First is insurance. A small number of criminals may elude even the highly efficient, super technological, extremely competitive protections agencies of the agorist future. Insurance is simply sharing the risk of something happening with all the others subscribing to LFI and PICO. As the odds of a thief getting away with it approach zero, your premium approaches zero. Second, as protection, you install locks and detectors, alarms, and maybe even booby traps. Actually, since your premiums will go down as you make yourself aggression-proof, protection will incur minimal additional costs. Third, as restitution, the aggressor, when apprehended, pays LFI and PICO the cost of replacement of the purloined or damaged goods, interest for the time the goods were stolen, and any costs uh, related to apprehension include fees for investigators, arresting agents, arbitrators, and if still necessary, enforces charges to reclaim your property. I believe it was Friedman that covered a lot of this and yeah, uh, um, too. But like, go on. I, I was gonna say this whole little section here just shows how good of a writer he is. Like he just lays out what, like, you know, everyone knows this of like chaos serial from Tom Woods episode, like security and stuff in the free market. But it always takes like thirty minutes or like a, a long conversation with a bunch of questions. He just lays it out here with like, a page and a half. Yep, and he lays it out so well. It's just, it's. In- Every time I read him, I'm blown away by how good of a writer he is. Like it really yeah. is insane. Actually, I think it was the Tannehills, maybe. Uh, it was one of the one of the longer chapters in the Anarchist Handbook. Uh, was like this and completely breaking down how all of this would work in a free society. And yeah, I did it in like a page. <laughs> yeah. and, and it's it's very. I know it sounds like crazy, but when you think about it, you're like, oh, yeah, that, make, that makes yeah. sense. <laughs> no, I, put out, I put out a tweet a week ago, and I was like, if you could bring back any dead writer to come back again. A lot of people were saying Rothbard, and I, I probably would do Rothbard too, but I'd be very tempted to bring back Honkin, just because he, you know, he didn't write a lot, and I would love to see him write more, because this is just fantastic. Oh, yeah, no, I wish he had run. That's one of my biggest regrets. He only has like two and a half-ish books yeah. to his name. because, And I, I actually probably would pick Konkin too, because uh well i do i think i would probably say rothbard has been a bit like had a better contribution to the liberty movement or whatever mm-hmm. as a whole and provide a lot better like i i've said before i do think uh conkins practice is more proper uh but 
still, I do think uh, Rothbard uh, exceeds him in what he's con- contributed. But he's contributed so much. It's like what really – because he got to the point where he's writing like tomes on historical stuff. Like, I mean, how much more could you really squeeze? I mean, don't get me wrong. There's probably more. But he was just well, getting to like really niche stuff at some I mean, point. <laughs> I mean, I, I would bring him back and have, have, just have him write the third volume of History of Economic Thought. Because he had yeah. it all in his head and he never wrote it down. That's how he'd write. He'd just have it in his head and sit down and type it on a typewriter. Uh, that's why the one thing I'd have him come back for. But I would love to see more Konkin book, books, honestly. Yeah. He's an incredible writer. Yeah. I mean, really, Konkin, Rothbard, and Hoppe are probably like my favorites, like come to mind immediately. And Konkin and Hoppe, or not Konkin, but Rothbard and Hoppe already have an immense body work, and Hoppe's still alive. So it's like, yeah, I'd, yeah. I'd definitely pick what would pick Konkin out of them. Um, all right. Know all the differences between statism and agorism. First, in a, in a state, you can expect nothing from the police if you're a poor or criminal. Maybe someday you'll get your property back if the criminal is ever caught and they and when they're through using the components as evidence. Since the odds of police accomplishing this are less than 10%, your insurance premiums, if the government still allows insurance pre- uh, companies, reflects the sharing of the high risk of theft plus whatever taxes the state tax on, plus the inefficiencies and additional costs of government regulation of the insurance industry. Did you ever try to collect insurance? Uh, notice the form filling in red tape, just like any other government bureaucracy imposed in this supposedly free enterprise. Second, in a state, you are under the control of the state in a criminal proceeding, even though you are the victim. You will be told when to appear, where to go, and you'll be forced to see the case through, even if you change your mind. In the Agora, should the matter go to arbitration, you will be required to report your loss since you want to replace. That's all. The theft may even have been recorded on video, but even if not, the protection company's detectives do all the work. You stand back or go about your business and let them do their jobs. That's all. You may never be called again, even if a thief is caught, convicted, and compelled to provide restitution. If LFI and PICO needs more testimony from you, they will ask you to attend the arbitration. And if they err, they will pay you for the error. Should they need you uh, inordinately, they will pay you for your trouble or they will let you go and lose the case if you want too much for your time. Third, in a state, everything is monopolized. Your appeal is to another judge who works for the state, too. In the Agora, competition and choice is everywhere. There are plenty of insurance and protection uh, companies from which to choose, all eager for your business. They can choose from a number of crack detectives, all competing to show that they're the best investigators. Should the matter go to arbitration, a number of arbitrators are competing for the best positions, hoping to prove themselves the fairest and most worthy of your company's time. Like, like this is so dense with so much in it, <laughs> but yeah, yet but so it's, also, it's so clear. It's just yeah, incredible. All right. Furthermore, if crime risk goes up in your neighborhood, it is in the interest of your protection company and those companies of your neighbors to hire protectors or guards to patrol your area. Unless you attack your neighbor, their protectors will never threaten you. Fourth, in a state, your police protection is just as likely to arrest you for some crime that has no victim. There are no such victimless crimes in the Agora. Fifth, if the rights of the victim, you, can never be overridden by the rights of the real criminal. Uh, oh, fifth, the, I put if in there for some reason. Uh, under agorist justice, the uh, arbitrator rules on the evidence that you are or are not entitled to restitution of goods or even parts of the body as technology makes that possible. Interest for time lost and your protection agency's expenses, including detection and apprehension costs. The moment the line is crossed into extracting more from the media center thief than full restoration of your components and all costs incurs, you or your company become the aggressor and the ex-thief's protection agency will now honor its contract to defend him. All insurance and protection contracts in the agorist society will stipulate that you cannot be protected from restoration proceedings after the protection companies defended you up to a fair arbitration. This ideal seldom lived up to by states is called due process. Oh, I gotta breathe. That's a lot. Um, all right, well, let's keep going. The difference between agorist protection and state policing has many more characteristics, but this list gives you a good idea. There is nothing the state can offer you in moral protection that the market cannot offer, and the free market will function faster and better than the state. It's true that an occasional market company may be unsound, but you will always have the option of switching to a better competitor. Under a state, you know your protection service will always be the same, poor with no alternative. The state offers one thing the free market cannot and will not offer, aggression. If you wish to attack your immediate neighbors, you'll need state to police to attack them for the crimes that belong to the wrong religious group or of taking the wrong intoxicant or of performing sex 
in a way of which you dis disapprove. And of We're course, you're, yeah. <laughs> and of course, your neighbors will need state police to attack you for similar reasons. If you want to attack faraway neighbors, you need a state army. Or maybe you want to live in peace and freedom and will be satisfied with protection defense. That last little bit kind of touched on, I think I touched on before, where I think the idea is like, what are your values? And then like the incentives that drive you that way. Because there are people that that last little paragraph about if you wish the state to do this, if you wish the state to do that, there will, I think, in my mm -hmm. opinion, that's kind of what I was going out earlier. There will always be people who have that. So, and Pops kind of gets on this a little bit. And like, that's kind of like, you know, this is a, there's a demand. But I think at the same time, there's also a demand for we want, for what we want. Mm -hmm. But I do think some of the bullshit we do in trying to pursue that ends goes against our, like, goes against our ends, if that mm -hmm. makes sense. And we need to ideally, you know, I mean, my, my, my call would be to engage more in the Agora or counter economics as opposed to wasting your time with shit that either wastes your time or goes against or moves you backwards, like stuff like the LP and shit like that. Yeah. But like, this is one of the biggest problems with like the libertarian movement is that we all agree on what we don't like what we have now. But like you put me next to say um, some of the people in the LP some of the people in the paleo circle, some of the agorists, everyone I know on Twitter, I wouldn't want to live next to any of those fuckers. See, I'm living these people I'm seeing on Twitter and on the timeline. I don't want to live next to any of them. <laughs> well, I want to live in my hypothetical as a Catholic company town. You know, I just I want to get what we have now so I can build this up. And everyone's the same way. Everyone wants to get what they have to build up their own thing. And it's like we all want to tear this down, but we don't agree on like anything else. We're constantly bickering about all those nonsense. I I, I guess I disagree a little bit because I've been to a couple like LP or like Liberty events and there's always that like group that like is awesome. And it's usually like the Mises guys and they're, mm -hmm. they're shit and I love them, but I'm just kind of like, I mean, maybe I'm wrong. I've said this before. I mean, when it comes to praxis, you kind of are just like, it's not like a hard science. Yeah. So like maybe I'm wrong, but it's kind of like, but yeah, probably like well over three quarters of the people, at these events are like, these guys fucking suck. But, like, there, there's a good amount of people like, all right, these guys are dope. I'm just thinking I, kind of wasting your time with shit. <laughs> I will say, my, my, my theory on that, and I've been, I went to Tom Woods' event, I kind of noticed that as well. When you're a libertarian, you're kind of isolated because you're so, what you're into is so outside the normal everybody else is into. That when you get with these people, you have, like, a window. I get to talk Siri and have fun with these, these fuckers and not have to worry about, like, defending what I'm saying. But after I think, I think if they would definitely say a week. After a week, you kind of be like, okay, we stopped talking politics. It's time to talk other shit, and I can't stand you. You know, I could see that being the, the next Maybe. thing that would happen. But. Like I said, though, the majority of the people these events were like, they kind of broke off in clicks. And the, those mm -hmm. are the people who are the old guard, you know, and then you do have the Mises guys coming in. And, and most of those guys are dope guys. They're good, good uh, anarchists, libertarians, whatever. I just, I, I think in the end, it'll show, it'll be shown that uh, it, nothing you. really comes of it. <laughs> so. do, do you know when the, uh, the Mises Caucus Florida event is? I know everyone's going to that one. You know when it is? I don't know off the top of my head. I can send you the event, the, the details later because okay. I'm I'm gonna be going to that. Yeah, I mean, um, I'm in Florida. I I, I said yeah. I said it's an event in Florida. I'm, I'm not gonna miss it because it's too much fun. Yeah, no, I'm I'm really looking forward to it. It's fun, especially now that I think I don't know if necessarily LPF is mad at me, but like I, me and Top kind of like pissed off uh, some of them recently. So it'll be fun to show Good. up and. <laughs> Good. Ever, hate is great. Piss everybody off. Because <laughs> Top basically drove out Martha Buenos. <laughs> Which I'm like, if you can't handle Twitter and that's why you left, it's kind of like, uh, okay. No, I have never actually <laughs> talked to a top lobster, but I, every every interactive house on Twitter is the great, is this amazing. Yeah, top's awesome. I love top. Toplobster.com. <laughs> yeah. All right. Two words or so about national defense. Full agorism obviously needs no national defense. There are no nations to defend and no nations from which to be defended. Local protection against occasional criminals is sufficient. Once in a while, criminals might band together to overwhelm a single protection agency. Then the Agris Protection Agency merely needs to hire another protection company to assist it. Similarly, should one protection company go bad, a few of the hundreds of others would be enough to apprehend its agents and shut it down. But in fact, market forces would sap such a company's destructive power long before it came to that. People raised in the Agris society would stop paying its insurance premiums and shift to its competitors. Detective and investigation agencies would terminate their contracts with it. Arbitrators would consistently rule against its aggressive moves. Agents working for the company would quit and go elsewhere. 
Secretaries and office help would walk out rather than have their reputations sullied by associating with such unagorous types. Even restaurants and grocery stores would refuse to sell to the renegades or would hike their prices to show their additional loss of subjective value in dealing with such coercive filth. Perhaps the company turning state would pay higher prices to hold their employees and supplies to or replace them. But where would they get their money? They would lose customers the moment they started to act like a government. It is just as likely that they would collapse if they attempted to live by stealing uh, tax collecting since they would be compelled by force or other companies to cease and desist their aggression against these companies' clients. People raised and educated to love an agorist society could not fall for tax paying. And if they ever do, we would sink all the way down the road of corruption and oppression to the level of statism that we enjoy today. The second word about territorial defense deals with the concerns of most people when they meet some version of anarchy, even the business-like, uh, business-like efficient free market kind. How does a non-state defend itself against all the states still left? The glib answer is, let me count the ways. A few should suffice to allay nameless fears. First, the context should not be forgotten. Government will not disappear until it's rejected by the overwhelming majority of the people under its rule. It is highly unlikely that other people in other countries around the world will be unaffected should North America oust its state through this libertarian infection. A libertarian international formed in 1980 had its first convention in Zurich in August 1982 and continues into the 21st century as the International Society for Individual Liberty. Many of these members could be relied upon to act as fifth columnists in their home countries to stop their governments from attacking the obviously peaceful anarchy. Second, although we do not rule out naked aggression, remember that wars are caused by both sides. There is an entire branch of libertarian theory we skipped in making this presentation, actually more than one, called revisionist history, which rips the mask off government war propaganda to reveal the gleaming skull underneath. The United States, for example, has not been involved in a single war since the first revolution that could not have been voided, nor one that would have cost American citizens their liberty had it been avoided. Said liberty to be sure, which they were already losing to their own government. Several volumes have been written about each of these wars from establishment and revisionist perspectives. But let me just list the bold, simple conclusions here, and you can search for yourself whether I'm right. All right, he just did the entire national defense portion of Machinery of Freedom in like two pages. Yeah, <laughs> he, he is yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. And now he's about to do fucking uh, enough already in probably in four five pages yeah <laughs> just so, the greatest writer I mean, yeah he literally is it's so packed but like it doesn't really miss any essential information really that i can see you know someone needs to build a time machine and go back and be like hey man eat more vegetables this <laughs> cut pizza eat some vegetables hit the gym and write some more books yeah my biggest critique of Konkin is that he's fat that's about yeah. it <laughs> that's really all it is like you're really not a good figurehead you need to slim down <laughs> yeah he is a funny. He's a funny looking dude. Yeah. I can't not laugh at him when I see his, Like, I'm glad this picture's not in anywhere in this book because I couldn't not laugh at it. But yeah, it's a thumbnail for this. But yeah. all right, War of eighteen twelve. U.S. Warhawks sought a land grab in in Canada. Pretext for the war: impressment of American seamen and ships running the British blockade of Napoleon. True, but trivial in comparison to war and its cost in lives and freedom. Mexican War. U.S. Southern interests sought land grab of Texas and other Mexican territories to form more slave states to balance off new northern free states. Pretext. Mexico attacked Republic of Texas and thus U.S. sale. Probably not, and Texas was not U.S. soil then. War between the states. North wished to enslave the South. South, justifiably, wished to be free of the North. <laughs> Pretext. Abolished, uh, abolition of slavery in South. North kept slavery in northern territory. Also, hardcore abolitionists supported both Southern secession and abolition of slavery as same issue of freedom. I do got to point out right there, Civil War is so, so, uh, what's the word, um, contentious. And he just did it like in a paragraph in a very concise way. He took what, he took what I had to read an entire Thomas E. Lorenzo book to come away from. And he just put it in a paragraph. Not even a paragraph, probably like two sentences. All right. Spanish-American War. U.S. interests grabbed Spanish colonies, Cuba, Philippines, for exploitation and turned the U.S. state into an old-world empire. Pretext. U.S. battleship Maine was attacked in the Cuban harbor. Even though innocent, Spain apologized anyway and bent over backwards to avoid war. World War I. U.S. interests, especially bankers, bet on Great Britain and moved U.S. in to save their investments when Russians pulled out, leaving Germany one front. 
Pretext. German U-boats attacked British ship carrying Americans. Declaration of unrestricted submarine warfare zones by Germany. Trivial relative to war and U.S. ships should have taken their chances if they insisted on running huge risks for high profits by penetrating the blockades. GB was blockading Germany and other interests wanted to replay War of 1812 and attack Britain. World War II, Europe, 1939. Britain gave Poland a blank check treaty if they would hold out 99% German Danzig for Germany. The last adjustment of the Versailles tri uh, Treaty ending World War I that penalized Germany. Also, Britain and France refused alliance with Russia against the fascist menace, although Bolshevik Russia was seriously threatened by Nazi aggression, unlike Danzig list Poland, not to mention distant Great Britain, and thus push, push USSR to German side in fear. Poland was overwhelmingly outnumbered and still refused to return German Danzig. Pretext, Germany invaded Poland without provocation. Nonsense, nonsense. Allied, war, allied war propaganda. Poland was so surprised that they were already fully mobilized and standing on the border in, on September 1, 1939. World War II, Pacific, 1941. The United States New Deal administration saw entry to the European theater and required an attack since 80% of Americans opposed bailing out Britain again. Japanese were strangled by British blockade aided by neutral U.S. ships. Japanese funds in U.S. were seized by U.S. government and Japanese emissaries for peace were insulted and scorned. Pretext. Japan attacked Pearl Harbor naval installation. Few, if any, in innocent U.S. civilians injured. Japan knew it would be dragged in the war and would lose. It struck first to delay the inevitable. Japanese Bushido code was offended deliberately and pro provocatively by U.S. status. Korean War. Artificial division of Korea, World War II, between a, no a northern communist dictatorship and southern pro-U.S. state dictatorship. U.S. entered to prop up colonies France and Japan were abandoning in Southeast Asia for a variety of corporate interests and Soviet containment reasons. Pretext, communist aggression, which involved China and Russia. China attacked the U.S. after American troops threatened to cross the Yalu River into China. Russia sat back and sold arms, as the U.S. had done before landing troops. Vietnam War. U.S. attempted to keep former French Indochina from passing into Eastern Bloc. See Korean War. This was a continuation from 1954. As became obvious immediately after when China switched over to U.S. side Communist countries are not necessarily threats to U.S. Pretext, defend South Vietnamese who wanted Western-style democracy from communist form of status. South Vietnamese were split and there was never anything even as free as democracy there under the various generals in the deemed dictatorship. El Salvador, certain U.S. industries and banks have heavy investments in Latin American countries and fear their expropriation by communist or Marxist governments. Pretext, Salvadorans want democracy, not communism. Salvadorans voted in the U.S. moderate election and got a genuine fascist government and massive murder of Democrats, <laughs> let alone communists, by arena death squads. The U.S. then overruled the results of the election they had demanded in the first place. <laughs> Iraq War One. U.S. sought to preserve its interest in Saudi Arabian oil fields, fearing that if Kuwait fell and former U.S. ally Saddam Hussein enriched himself from oil profits there, then Saudi Arabia might be next. Pretext, Iraq invaded Kuwait, separated from Iraq by British in 1932 to regain its port and to seize oil fields on the theory that they were using a slant drill to drink the milkshake of Iraq, Iraq's Al-Ramala ah, fields. Afghan war. U.S. and U.K. attempt to secure Afghanistan to protect a proposed natural gas pipeline from Turkmenistan to Pakistan and India passing right through the Kandahar province. This in an effort to counteract perceived Russo-Iranian energy trade in the region. Pretext. Taliban gave aid and comfort to 9-11 attack coordinator Osama bin Laden, oppressed women, and served as a training haven for Islamic fundamental terrorists. Iraq War II. U.S. continued to perceive Iraq as a threat to its oil interests in the Middle East, especially after Iraq's scorched earth retreat from the Kuwaiti oil fields in 1991. In addition, personal grudges may have played a part since the sitting president's father had once been targeted for assassination by Hussein. Pretext, Saddam Hussein's repeated scofflawing of numerous UN resolutions and rumors that Iraq still pursued weapons of mass destruction. By the way, those quickie explanations are not meant to convince you that the U.S. was wrong and the other sides was right. 
The Agra's viewpoint is that U.S. states were wrong and its war opponents were wrong. Both or either could have avoided any of the above wars. Whew, I just got this comment real quick there. That is fucking insane how quick and well he just went through every American war and yeah. just like broke down with business history. It's just like, I, this, ah. yeah, that is, um, anybody listening, if you want, if you enjoyed any of those, um, there's an uh, article you should read by Eric von Kudit Lodin on Mises U called Monarchy and War. Um, it's a great chapter on war. Uh, but it's really interesting. And he has a whole little bit in it about uh, World War One, World War Two propaganda. Where um, I think everyone wants to read it because it's incredible. So is how much propaganda is in war. Because I think you find it interesting. Um, there was one of the French um, propaganda was that the German uh, bodies smelt worse dead than the French bodies. <laughs> was that was how they like boasted their men and humiliated them that they smell worse dead. Um, <laughs> And then uh, they had so much propaganda that World War II actually rolled around. The government said, hey, the, the Holocaust is happening. No one fucking believed them. <laughs> Which is just hilarious. Like, it's a great piece. But, wow, that is a, that's a lot. Yeah, that's jam-packed. And But, you know, that's, that's, that's him. He does. He's very, like, this little book is like, let me see. It's like a hundred-ish pages. I think a hundred and three. Well, I guess a hundred and five. You count the afterward. Yeah. And it's like it's like probably dang near ten thick libertarian theory books stuffed into it yeah. without losing essential information. Yeah, I so, would <laughs> I would hand someone this and um anatomy to state. Even yeah. I don't want to be an agorist. I, oh, I think this is a great book to read if you're not an agorist. This is so much here and you can get out of it that it's yeah. You gotta read it. Yep. All right. Well, I guess I'd say anatomy state first because this isn't like a red pilling yeah. book. Anatomy this is state more just like this, this is like okay, you're here now. Uh, you want a quick, uh, quick, really quick, uh, but yet efficient theory of all this shit. Here you go. It's a, it's <laughs> like, like it says, it's a primal and it's a great primal. Yeah. All right. And before we forget, there's an obvious third way the North American non-state defends itself against the state around it, if it is agorist. The protection agencies form larger syndicates than the ones they form in the case we mentioned above of a local protection a a company going renegade. If all the policyholders of all the insurance and protection companies are threatened by evasion, they will throw all their combined resources and higher technology judging by free enterprises past performance on defense of the common ground. Fourth, the people will rise up in militias or guerrilla units to defend their incredibly free society. There were advanced hints of the strategy in the Ukrainian anarchist army under Nestor Makhno had no trouble raising militia to protect the local fa- uh, fanners from roving armies of reds and whites during the Russian Revolution. Uh, I mean, shit, I mean, our American Revolution to some extent kind of did this. You know, I mean, there was some status component. I'm not a huge historian on that. I know some people were, uh, I, I know they did, a, what's it called? Uh, not, not draft, but like uh, you basically made people enlist to some extent. But mm-hmm. a lot of it was just free people being like, fuck this. Like yeah. so, um, yeah, like the revolutionary spirit was a lot better than anyone leading it. Yes, uh, exactly. Um, fifth, most wars have had a strong economic component. Often, access to goods or natural resources was barred by protection of state economic policies. The anarchy would have full free trade with full access. Anyone wanting anything produced in the North American anarchy would easily could easily buy it without taxes and tariffs, and at a cheaper price than anywhere else. Notice how giant communist China went out of its way not to conquer tiny Hong Kong, although the British were ready to toss it to them anytime they asked and finally did. Even now, now Hong Kong has not seen red Chinese tanks rolling through its streets to crush its capitalist minions. In fact, much of China has become a mirror of Hong Kong with party leaders in the People's Liberation Army growing rich on market activities, white, black, and gray. Check also the little free parts in cities of Monaco, Andorra, Liechtenstein, Singapore, and San Marino. Obviously, he wrote this before the Hong Kong stuff, but I would say even yeah. now, I mean, I, I don't know a ton about this situation, but even that, I would still say Hong Kong probably now is still very capitalist. And in yeah. China, it was probably just, if anything, that kind of more makes the point that like, hey, this crazy uprising kind of came from Hong Kong. They were like, fuck you. It's like, yeah. well, that was kind of, to some extent, the freest area of China. So they were the, yeah. they were like, that's why. But yeah, like no, the it, state it, is kind of leeching off them, but like, whoa, whoa, cool it. You can't go that far. <laughs> like, yeah, no, Hong, Hong Kong is um, it's a fascinating example of a lot of things. Yeah. Like it's um, on. I, I wish there was more 
because it's currently happening, there's not a lot of great books on it. But I would, I in ten years, fifteen years, when it's kind of settled down or moved further, there are going to be some fascinating revisionist history books about the Hong Kong libertarian theory. Like it's going to be yeah. insane. All right, six, and we'll have to stop eventually. So let it be here. The states will quarrel amongst themselves, since the anarchy threatens no state immediately. Uh, point two, long term, it does as a shining example of better conditions. But other states with standing militaries do threaten at all times. What state would want the easy access to resources point, uh, in the anarchy cut off by another state using it? That could mean war. But among the states, while well, the anarchy freely sells to all sides without favor or penalty. And that kind of goes on our Hong Kong example that we were kind of getting at before. Like if there was some area that, you know, Hong Kong's kind of like a, a you know, a, a lesser degree of this. It's more capitalistic. But if you had a, if you had an area, say, say New Hampshire did secede and somehow they didn't fuck and they went full on anarchy and somehow they made it to that point where the states didn't fuck with them. It would, it really wouldn't make sense for anyone to be like, let's have full on war. If they get past that first initial point, like obviously initially, but once it's been established for a while and is going, it's kind of like, well, we can kind of, you know, benefit off of it. And it's like, he does point out in the long run, uh, fucking it's not good for the state, but, the state isn't as, I mean, I guess in some regards, maybe it is, but it's not as good as the, at the long run stuff because most politicians are only there for short terms and they all know the, the, the whole game of the state is like passing the fucking, uh, the, you know, buck to the next guy or kicking the can down the road. So it's like, while they know this is a threat in the long run, they're more like, well, we can benefit on the short run and this, this works for me. So, you know, why, you know, but I mean, Low this is all reference. theoretical. Say what? Low time preference. Yes. Um, critics of market anarchy often try to have their cake and eat it too. For example, they may argue that there are too few states. What happens if the states gang up? And at the same time, too many. How can one anarchy survive among all those states? As in the case of historical examples such as revolutionary France and revolutionary Russia, where the surrounding states did gang up to crush the new type of state. If the country is big enough, it will survive enough foreign interference, even in the middle of a civil war, which both experience, let alone agorous peace. Additional tactics for defense and reasons for non-aggression are left as an exercise for the reader. All right. <laughs> that was a lot there. Um, yeah. I mean, he kind of like, once again, that was like kind of more machinery freedom type stuff. Uh, just pointing out. Uh, and it is funny. I... I mean, maybe it's just because I've done enough reading now. It is always funny. That is one to go to for like, not to, I guess it's, I feel like it's weird saying status, but for statists mm -hmm. or, or normies. And they're like, well, what, what about, what about national defense? And you're like, I mean, I, I it, once you kind of think it through, you're like, oh, like say America net magically, we turned to anarchy overnight. Like what country is going to waste their resources to cross an ocean, try to take us over and then even then, even they did try to take us over, it would be such a decentralized thing that like these decentralized components would gang up on the invader. And yeah. even if they somehow didn't say it was just like an every man for himself, like people think of it as anarchy. It's kind of like, OK, what are you going to do be able, to be able to take over a small area that has no leader that you can't even really take over because there's nothing to take over? It's just yeah. a group of people. It's constant, <laughs> like, constant guerrilla warfare. It's just, yeah. it's not going to be effective. There's no point. It, it's like Afghanistan, but way worse. <laughs> all you get out of it is some land that we've already fucking destroyed. Yeah. <laughs> like get. There's nothing to gain. Yeah. So like, uh, there's nothing. Like, yeah. It's I, I don't get where people. I mean, the more you think about, it, the more you're like, well, it like it doesn't make sense. Yeah. Like, well, they, <laughs> great example. Uh, when I first started getting into anarchism, I had a friend of mine who still doesn't get it and he hates it. Um, as I brought it up, he's like, okay, like, what we do is the nukes. I'm like, well, what do you mean? It's like, what we, all these nukes have like, who's, is what? These insurance companies going to have the nukes? I'm like, okay, yeah. He's well, that's <laughs> terrible. I'm like, um, what do you want to do if like, other companies has a, what, what, what if science tries to like nuke you? I'm like, well, we have anti nuclear missiles. He goes, okay, look, we don't even know those work yet. It's like, okay, so the state can't use them either then. Like, what the fuck are you saying? <laughs> like, if we don't know they work for us now, what, you can't take what we he was, we can't do it now, but he's saying I, my system's bad because we can't do it in the future. We can't do it now, dude. What the fuck are you saying? <laughs> like, it made literally made no sense. It was the dumbest yeah. thing. Yeah, that, the nukes one is questionable, but it's like, at the same time, I feel like there are definitely incentives in place not to use them. So, yeah. like, yeah, it, I it's, I, I, I got tired of arguing. I hate the word statist. Um, I, I, plebs is better. Uh, yeah. but 
I once had a guy who uh, I said I was a uh, graduation party and I brought up anarchism, and he of course he's autistic as fuck at home because they brought over like his friends to argue about it with me. And he's like, oh, you're against government doing anything? I'm like, yes. He goes, so what about when it got one of Jim Crow laws? I'm like, you mean the laws they made in the first place? He, <laughs> he was like, what? what? Oh, like, he literally never put two together, Jim Crow laws. <laughs> yeah. It was the funniest thing. Yeah, which is, I don't know, that's to some extent, that's kind of like some of the stuff people have been bitching about lately with like, I don't know, like say with Florida and stuff. And it's like, I guess, I mean, you know, especially looking at from more of an agoristic perspective, I see a lot of these like corporations as arms of the state. So when like, say somebody like DeSantis is like, hey, corporations, you can't do this. To me, that's just the state fucking the state. I'm like, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I get it. Like a lot of people point out that like the legislation also applied to like, you know, not businesses that you would consider to be part of the state or like little mom pop places. And like, okay, yeah, ideally I would prefer there to have been some sort of clause that somehow magically exempted them. Anyone who gets any sort of major kickback from the government, no, you have to do this. But okay, okay. I, tax brackets. Just put yeah, up my tax bracket. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, uh, to. I mean, I, I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I I can point out that it's not right, and they probably shouldn't do that. But at the same time, I'm not gonna complain too much. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's the same yeah, thing no, where I'm like, like I'm I'm a, I'm a pro life guy. I think abortion is murder, but like, so, and I don't think you know that you necessarily need laws for that, or really we should have laws for that. But at the same time, the state does put in laws. I'm kind of like, okay, it's the same idea as like murder laws. I'm like, I don't think you really need murder laws. You know, if you think yeah. about it, because it's like. Uh, there's clear incentives. People don't like getting murdered and they will, you know, like yeah. people will prevent the murdering thing or try to, to the best extent. But at the same time, if someone puts in a murder law, I'm not going to like throw a fit. <laughs> yeah, it's, <laughs> like, okay. it's something the state does. And it's like, like you're against, like, uh, it's so frustrating. It's like, oh, you're against the state doing this. So you're against like, what, them having uh, a VA hospital? It's like, Sort of, because one, they said, I mean, yes, I hope it's better one, but it's good. At the same time, it's one inefficiently entailable. Oh, the VA so hospital is awful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And yeah. so it's like, I'm not I'm not against them doing good in Zinwar. They're just not good at it. Yeah. <laughs> like, it. It's frustrating. All right. The agorist path, getting from here, statism, to their agorism, is the second and perhaps defining characteristic of the latter. Unlike libertarianism, agorism offers both goal and path as an internally consistent package deal. The short answer is given in Axiom 4. A longer answer is applying counter-economics to all your actions and linking preferentially with others who do so creates an even bigger agora. How that works and what two things you need to watch for is an excellent chapter with which to end this primer. And that leads into the next chapter, Applied Agorism, which they'll go into more of that kind of things, and we will touch on that in the next episode. Uh, I do, we do have a uh, someone who commented, I'm an atheist, anarchist. I think abortion is murder. What am I going to do about it? Same thing I do about other murders. Protect myself. Yeah, and ideally, if we had a state out of the way, uh, you know, things would happen. And, you know, like, uh, well, at the I very a- least, I think you, in, a, in a true free society, there would be a insane social stigma against it. I mean, it is like litigation against abortion would be pretty pretty hard to pursue. And I don't know the libertarian yeah. theory of that would work in a free society. But at the very least, I think it would be insanely frowned upon <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. Like my, i i had a i had a major like revelation today when it came to the abortion issue is i no longer believe you have a right to life like pro choices don't have a right to life that's my uh that's my new stance yeah <laughs> well all right I, we're at the end i don't know if you want to go ahead and drop your plugs and we'll uh um yeah my uh my show is face liberty and practice on youtube at face liberty and practice i'm on twitter at uh at caleb brown 549 I got a bunch of shit in the world. Oh, I have a website now with a bunch of other Catholics, uh, paleotomism.com, uh, at paleotomism on Twitter. Bunch of cool Catholic monarchist, anarchist types. Um, yeah, I got, I got a bunch of stuff in the world. I got 16 books I'm reading this uh, next six months, and it's going to be a lot of fun. I got to- and everybody listening, Thomas Little Windsor is coming on, and that is going to be the shit. So everyone go read socialism and get ready for that one. I will say Catholic monarchist is a very based uh, term. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, this is the No Way Jose show. You can find me on YouTube, all the major audio podcatchers, Odyssey. Uh, on Twitter, I'm at 2020 No Way Jose if you want to follow me. I'm on Getter as well. I'm debating whether I want to delete it because it's kind of trash and it's like I don't even really use it. But at the same time, it's kind of like, I don't know. It's another platform, whatever. I mean, it'll probably die down anyways. I'll end up deleting it later. But if you want to try the Getter thing, 
It's obviously pretty trash. A lot of people saw the Tim Pool stuff that came out lately. And let's be real, I already knew what it was before that. Uh, I mean, me and Reed were uh, were fucking testing it out, you know, right off the bat, fucking dropping in bombs. We're like, oh, we can't do that. Oh, well, I guess this is free speech. And like, don't get me wrong, I think it's perfectly reasonable for a platform to be like, hey, you can't say that here. But if you're gonna be like, this is a free speech platform, it's yeah. like, well, you're making a bold claim here. Let's find out. Like, now, if you're just like, hey, this is more free speech than other places, but you can't do this, this, and this. I'm like, fair, fair enough. It is your platform, but don't tell me it's free speech and then I can't say the n word. So, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, America. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and if you want to give me money, patreon.com, just no way Jose 2020, like share, subscribe, comment, all that good stuff. How about the algorithms? Uh, and yeah, we'll be doing our next last episode. Uh, I don't probably, we'll probably end up doing like next week or something. Like or five, there's five pages left. And so it's going to be, uh, yeah. Oh shit. Well, that's pretty short. Well, that'll be a very quick one. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I would have knocked out the other one. Well, if it's only five pages, I would have knocked it out today, but I do have another episode I'm about to go to right after this. So if you're watching this uh, live, I'm about to do the Keith Knight one here in a minute. So that should be fun. So good. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, but yeah, with that, uh, we are out. I appreciate you coming on. This has been fun. And uh, the next one will be our last one. And I, I think I'm going to, I haven't talked to Sal yet, but I would like to try to get Sal for the uh, fucking, uh, for the New Libertarian Manifesto. That'd be great. Sal is yeah. That is great. I, I yes. every time I talk to that guy, it's always fun. Yeah, and ideally, my ideal is I want to try to get Aaron for Agro's class theory. That would be fun because I think someone Good coming dude. from that like uh, uh, commie type, you know, but yet ANCAP sort of view would be really built for a class theory on agorism. So yeah, uh, yeah. With that, we are out. Appreciate it, bud. No problem. Out. Right. Oh, oh.